and we are here, ready to go with a somewhat somber but a little bit more upbeat than our last memorial show, which was way, way, you know, definitely was not long enough ago. Um, way too short of time between we're having Legends pass here and again um, so often. And if you guys are noticing, I mean, I don't want to go on a rant and put myself up on some sort of CM Punk uh, pedestal here, but you notice it's kind of the guys from the same generation and the same era all passing away and leaving us way, 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 way too young. Now, I'm not going to go on a rant here and disparage people who have just recently passed away in the way that they lived, but all I'm going to say to all of you people out there is, you know, take care of yourselves and watch what you're doing and don't be too excessive and wrecking your bodies you have you know if you can you got long life to live and uh as we're all feeling the pain of losing hot rod and of losing dusty roads um you know it it tears a lot of people up when people leave and especially when they leave way way earlier than they have any business leaving us so please everybody out there it's okay to have fun it's okay to you know uh indulge in some some beverages and some substances sometimes but don't, you know, take care of yourselves. Take care of yourselves. Um, for this go-around, we're going to do things a little bit differently, as I have the man, the old-school professor, who I wanted with me on the Dusty Roads show. I have the Shockmaster in the house to go over some Rowdy Roddy Piper retrospective and memories. And at the end of the show, we will also be covering some thoughts and some preview on SummerSlam and NXT TakeOver coming up next weekend. Shocky, thank you for joining me. Very important episode. Thank you very much. It's, you know, it's sad that we got to do it, but, you know, again, hot, hot, hot again, rock so a ton of memories. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I guess when we for us to start off, what overall... Um, when you think of, of Rowdy Roddy Piper and his uh, overall impact and uh, uh, how he affected the business, um, what what comes to your mind? Uh, how do you how do you summarize it? Well, speaking with WWF, he's the greatest heel of all time. Okay, which it's crazy to think about because when you look at his career, he was only a heel for two years in the WWF. Yeah, basically. You know? Yeah, excluding 2003 return. You know the the guy, Piper's Pit is just, uh, it's been replicated but never duplicated. Or is that how that goes? I don't know. But um, it's yeah, duplicated but not replicated. Anyway, there's been dozens of knockoffs, but Piper's Pit was the one and only. That man could sell anything with his mouth. You know, he's he's memorable more so for his interviews and promos and his wrestling ability. But as Mark Madden pointed out in one of his decent articles that he wrote that man never sold a wrestling match he sold fights yeah you know and that that's something that was just unique to him and and his his piper pits where he smashes people in the head with coconuts or mm-hmm. he sold wrestlemania 3 with bobby heenan because hogan and andre couldn't sell it with their promos you know it's it's just the man has an impact and he became a cult icon with his offshoot B movies. <laughs> well, just... and think of the fact, okay, you talk about Piper's Pit and how that spun off and like we don't get every other, you know, talk segment TV show kind of thing that we got for the rest of wrestling history up until now with uh, you know, uh the highlight reel with Chris Jericho with uh the Peep Show Christian with Miz TV, although I could do without Miz TV ever having existed. But we don't get all those things if it's not for Piper's Pit. 
So not only did Piper create great, magical, memorable, historic moments on his own show, but if it wasn't for Brody Piper, we may never get uh, Marty Jannetty going through the barbershop window. We may never get uh, Chris Jericho smashing Shawn Michaels through the Jeroton 3000. And that, which was, you know, one of the greatest feuds of the modern era. It really kicked off during that talk segment. There's numerous moments that would have never happened because the talk shows would have never happened if it wasn't for Roddy Piper. So it's a, you know, everything, so many things that he was a big part of created such a butterfly effect later on that you know, who knows where we would be or what we would have missed out on if it wasn't for the WWE being able to look at this guy and see how good he was in promos and see how good he his charisma was and his ability to play the heel role was. If it wasn't for them looking at him and his ability to do that and being able to trust him to run with it, then who knows what all we would have missed out on over the years. Yeah, he was the prototype and the mold for the shit-talking heel and that he was also a chicken shit in certain regards. He'd take the fight to you, but he also knew to fight another day and get the hell out of Dodge and get disqualified or whatnot when it came down to it. I mean, and he was the man, he was the career foil of Hulk Hogan. Yeah, yeah. And he, without, and I'm a big firm believer, without Roddy Piper as the heel getting the heat from Cindy Lauper during the rock and wrestling days, there is no superhero Hulk Hogan. He, it would have happened but nowhere near as hot as it got without the heel heat Roddy Piper generated. And, and you one... are a guy to attest to that because you were there, you watched it, you were a young wrestling fan, and so, you know, all of you out there, if you doubt that, if you doubt what he's saying, I mean, he was there, he witnessed, he felt the way it felt in a true WWE territory like Cincinnati, what it was like back then, so. Yeah, the only person at that time that could have gotten it would have been heel Ric Flair, and we all know that would never would have happened in 1984. No, no, sir. So, so the next best thing was Roddy Piper, and so, Roddy Piper brought it. What I want to start with um, is right just before 1984, a lot of people don't realize this. I know I've talked about it somewhere on one of these shows before with a KB, I believe, um, when we talked about how a lot of people don't know that Starcade, WCW, it was NWA at the time, NWA sanctioned Jim Crockett Promotions show. <laughs> it was all it was all very mixed up, but it made perfect sense if you know if you were seeing it in front of you. Um, NWA sanctioned Jim Crockett Promotions. Starcade was the first professional wrestling pay per view. Obviously, it wasn't actually a pay-per-view it was um closed circuit um because pay-per-view hadn't been invented back then but it was the first thing that was like wrestlemania and it was the precursor to it and not only was roddy piper the main event of the first wrestlemania he was also one of the main upper card matches on the first starcade in what is a legendary brutal match with Greg the Hammer Valentine in a dog collar match for Starcade. Yeah, those two beat the shit out of each other back then. I mean, Piper apparently lost half the hearing in his left ear from taking a steel chain shot to his eardrum. <laughs> yeah, this is this is you guys. I mean, this is as legit as it gets. This is um, 
a real dog collar, you know, heavy chain. These guys are, uh, you know, are really trying to bust each other open hard way. Um, real injuries are happening here. Roddy Piper really got his ear wrecked in this match. Uh, do you remember? I, from what I can discern from the documentaries I've seen, and I don't know if you uh, could fathom what you were watching at the time or if you were even watching it on a weekly basis. Um, all I got to go off of is the documentaries. But I, from what I could tell, the feud itself was simply built on a lot of um, really competitive matches that just seemed to not ever settle the score. And yeah, I'm- it caused them to hate each other, and then, you know, this was the only way to, to move past the feud. Yeah, I mean, I'm too young for Star or yeah, Starcade. Okay. One. You okay. Know, that's that's 1983. <laughs> I'm not, but uh, yeah, I'm with you. The documentaries and reading it, it, and just kind of going back in retrospect and looking back on it. But yeah, I mean, all all the matches on that card were just brutal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so look, if you want to go back and look at one of Roddy Piper's first big time money performances on the first big time money wrestling, you know. Televised program, go back, check out the dog collar match, the first Starcade. Easily, it's it's probably one of Piper's top three or four matches without question that you probably will have act, easy access to. We move on to obviously what everyone knows about, or if you're listening to the show, you really fucking should know about WrestleMania One, Madison Square Garden. They build the show on the back of Roddy Piper, Hulk Hogan, Cowboy Bob Bob Orndorff, or Cowboy Bob Orton, Paul Orndorff were also involved, Mr. T on the other side. Um, Now, not only was this show built on the wrestling aspect, but it was also built to the connection to rock and wrestling MTV, and Roddy Piper was himself also a big part of that because he cut promos on Cindy Lauper, he smashed a fucking record over somebody's head, Cindy Lauper's gold record <laughs> that she was being given. A lot of people don't understand that back then, um, MTV, rock and roll music, uh, professional wrestling were very, you know, were joined at the hip and were kind of looked at in the same category of um, entertainment and kind of went together back then and were both using each other, leaning on each other to, you know, push forward in a game popularity um that's why it's called the rock and wrestling era what do you uh, remember about the, the whole the surrounding um how things built you know the event itself uh, it speaks to the marketing genius of vince mcmahon and you you take rocky three which came out i think a year before that with the popularity that hogan and mr t both had from that movie you had this fledgling national territory on a fledgling cable platform with a fledgling MTV channel that was just getting started. It was just everything in its infancy created this perfect storm of everybody, like you said, piggybacking off of each other. Hogan got the piggyback off it. Lopper got the piggyback it. And then Piper brought his heel intensity to it. And it just was this perfect storm that we haven't seen since. That You took MTV and the WWF in its infancy and created this pop culture phenomenon that is spawn a cartoon show out of it. Yeah, it's just it's crazy at the 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 perfect timing of everything. And they didn't pick Roddy Piper for no reason. They picked him because, you know, he was able to make people hate him so much yep. and completely able to carry his own weight. 
Yeah, you look at some of his, uh, especially going back into some of the documentaries and looking at just the way he generated heel heat in the 70s and it, when he was a young hot rod. And he claimed that he's been stabbed by two or three different fans yeah. <laughs> playing a national anthem of Mexico to La Cucaracha on the bagpipes when, when he was feuding with the Guerreros out in L.A. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it was perfect. And this guy, he just did not care to go out and I, just to destroy Cindy Lauper and attack a woman as popular as she was at the time. It took balls, especially in that day where people really, you know, the line was blurred between kayfabe and real. Kayfabe was still still real to a lot of people. There was no dirt sheets that got behind the scenes. People thought Piper was a genuine asshole. And, you know, when, and people were pissed with him. And he got out and he got nuke heat. White hot nuclear heat. And so, he heads off in the sunset uh, in front of 93, well, wink, wink, 93,000 fans at uh, WrestleMania 3 in Detroit, I guess Adrian Adonis, um, and heads off and participates in some films that you are well aware of. What, <laughs> what, was, <laughs> what was the enjoyment of those things? Uh, what do you remember of, of the Roddy Piper film verse? Uh, the first one uh, was Body Slam, which was it was it's terrible. It was yeah, <laughs> yeah basically Hollywood's take on the Rock and Wrestling connection. Uh, it's not very enjoyable. It's good for the campiness of it, but whatever. And then the next one was Hell Comes to Frogtown. <laughs> I think I've read about this, or wasn't it? Uh, no, no, you tell me because I don't want to fucking I don't want to start making stuff up. Roddy Piper's name was John Hell, and he went to a town called Frogtown that had frogs, <laughs> giant frog people in their side. It's been about 30 years since I've seen it, or 25 years since I've seen this movie. It is just B-movie. It's just bad. Well, wasn't weren't the frog guys like trying to trying to steal the women so they could mate with them or something? <laughs> yes. Wasn't that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. See, I was. I didn't. Okay. I didn't. I didn't remember it. Yeah. It was frog guys. Okay. That's what I was gonna say. Yeah. So that, I mean, hey, if you're just hanging out for a night and uh, you know, some of you are engaging in some 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 substances or some some inhalables uh, in honor of Hot Rod and his partying ways. Um, I, Maybe that might not be a bad thing to sit on back and check out. No. Hell comes to Frogtown. I like <laughs> the it. Na- the name itself is worth it. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> and then uh, obviously we get into uh, the big movie for Piper, a John Carpenter movie, starring aside Keith David. They live. Yeah. You know, it, it is it is typical John Carpenter's '80s goodness. You know, campy, but it's it's a social commentary on Reaganomics at the time and. Mm-hmm. It comes with the pride of one of the greatest quotes from Piper. I've come to of course. chew bubblegum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubblegum. All out of bubblegum. <laughs> and that thing has lived and been parodied throughout the years, and it, it just it really shot Piper into a weird cult icon that professional wrestling even couldn't do for him. So that's a lot of uh, enjoyable, fun stuff for you guys uh, to check out. Um he then returned in what one of my favorite memories is, you know, once again, hearkening back a bit to um, the way the Dusty Rhodes one was when I told you guys, you know, my personal favorites um, was when he returns to the WWE to, uh, well, first he did a, a Piper's Pit, WrestleMania 5, which is one of the less, I, I didn't think it was, it was a, 
that that entertaining, but he, he's on the show again. Um, he makes his return to the ring, interfering in the Rick Rude Ultimate Warrior uh, feud, where the Ultimate Warrior is having his rematch for the Intercontinental title. Ultimate Warrior had lost the Intercontinental title uh, unjustly at WrestleMania five. Got his rematch, SummerSlam 1989. Out comes Roddy Piper to interfere in the match. He's looking eye-to-eye to Rick Rude. Rick Rude spits on him or says something to him. And Roddy Piper turns around, bends over, and shows him what exactly is under his kit. Kilt. <laughs> which appeared to be nothing. And Rick Rude's reaction, of course, he sells it. You know, like he just got shot. Ultimate Warrior wins the match. Uh, uh... Jesse Ventura on commentary sells it beautifully. It's fucking hilarious. SummerSlam 1989, Ultimate Warrior, Rick Rude, Roddy Piper comes out to interfere. It's hilarious. Check it out. This then spurns on a feud with Roddy Piper and Rick Rude. Obviously, one of the culminating matches ends up being a Survivor Series where Rick Rude's team goes against Roddy Roddy Piper's team. And I'm not going to exactly spoil what happens, but the promos at the beginning of the Survivor Series 1989 and the match itself are pretty damn funny in and of themselves. So I <laughs> would definitely recommend both SummerSlam 1989 and Survivor Series 1989 to watch what was... It's just a great mix. They're two great workers. The, the, the characters going against one another are really funny because Rick Rude is so kind of, kind of effeminate and... Um, I mean, not effeminate, but, you know, he's so... Uh, luxurious he's so pompous you know and and roddy piper's such a such a real you know a real tough guy an action movie star you know badass and so it's just funny to see them to see them uh go head up with each other yeah without question just rude gets overlooked a lot of time for his heel ability and <laughs> just the charisma that and the uh, chemistry that him and piper had was just fantastic at that time the only uh, other memorable, I mean, he was in a lot of good stuff, but the only other memorable thing from those times um, in the mid-90s uh, before he won the IC title back, or uh, well, the early 90s, excuse me, when he won the IC title back, was he was in uh, Virgil's corner at WrestleMania 7 when Virgil finally turned on the Million Dollar Man. Now, Roddy Piper was recovering from an injury and was on crutches. What was hilarious is he gets whacked or something like that and like a true pro he tries to you know sell it and it looks like he gets shot with a fucking <laughs> cannon his crutches just go flying through the air um <laughs> so he's pretty funny on that um do you want to do the wrestlemania 6 thing oh, the, i don't want to I, I mean it was kind of a it's kind of a shit show of a match um but the, the hot rod hot scott promo yeah is, is worth yeah that is a, that is a pretty good promo um, he's in a feud with Bad News Brown. Uh, he does the. No, I'm not. I don't go down these roads on this show because I'm not trying to offend nobody, and uh, I don't even try to pretend to understand how some of this stuff affects people. But Roddy Piper comes out um, painted half half black. <laughs> yes. In blackface. Um, and <laughs> funny story is from what I've read that that was not planned. Like he like Bad News Brown didn't know that Hot Rod was going to do that. And Bad News Brown is a legitimate Olympic uh, Olympian in, um, what was it, judo, I think? Something like that. Yeah, yeah, judo or taekwondo or something like that. So 
Hot Rod is lucky. I mean, Bad News Brown could have got really mad. Bad News Brown, for anybody who doesn't know, is a black guy. I don't... I forget that not everybody might not have, might not go back this far. Um, WrestleMania six, for me personally, that was one of the first uh, videos, cassette tapes that I owned that I could watch as much as I want when when I was a kid. So I know the show like the back of my heart. But uh, I forget sometimes that not everybody goes back that far. Bad News Brown was a black guy, heel, real just kind of uh, real low down, dirty, uh, you know unforgivable heel you guys have heard me curse him on this show before legit badass and a legitimate badass the only guy in the history of wrestling to back down andre the giant andre the giant said some sort of this is the story i don't want to proclaim these things about a beloved figure in wrestling but andre the giant said some sort of racial slur in the presence of bad news brown bad news brown got off the bus and was like hey i'm gonna kick your fucking ass come out here and andre the giant stayed in his seat (laughs) so that's how badass bad news brown was so imagine roddy piper comes out for this match and he's in blackface he's half painted black and you know that took <laughs> he'd be pretty fucking brave and pretty confident that Bad News Brown wasn't going to get mad and decide to kick the shit out of you in front of 67,000 people and however <laughs> many were watching at home yeah the, it's the match itself like you said is kind of a shit show but he he has two personalities in that promo the hot rod and the hot scott yeah and i forget which color is which but it, it's a it's a damn good promo though it's it it just speaks to you know the sometimes uh tone definite his 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 ability to take things a little further than they probably should go but also at the same time his willingness to push that line that you see so few other people willing to willing to go yeah for. he certainly is not politically correct by any no. you know, no, no, you know no. it's a, he would have been chased out of the business a long time ago if he were around today so we progress up to once again this is one of my personal favorites now this one right here Everyone, please, you know, put down your cups of milk and pay attention to this. Because if I tell you of any part that you really need to fucking see, you need to see this. WrestleMania 8, Indiana Hoosier Dome, Intercontinental title, Roddy Piper defends against Bret the Hitman Hart. I could probably sit here and from my memory describe to you move for move what happens in this match because that's how many times I have seen it. It is one of the best matches I've ever seen that you will ever see. It's one of the best. Uh, the funny story from Bret Hart's book is he talks about how uh, this was at a time when the wrestlers were not allowed to uh, gig themselves or to blade to induce bleeding. For anybody who's uninitiated out there, um, back in the day, I mean, not that far back in the day, as, cl- as close as, you know, 2010, they were still doing it wrestlers would bring a razor blade out to the ring, a small one, either in the wrist tape or uh, hide underneath their tongue in some paper. Um, when the time of the match came to for them to bleed, they would take the razor out and give themselves a small, sometimes small, in the case of Dusty Rhodes, Carlos Colon, not so small, cut on the forehead. If you give yourself even a small forehead wound, um, you will bleed like a motherfucker, and that's what they used to do. Well, during this time in the WWF, you were not allowed to blade anymore because it was during the steroid scandal and during a time when a lot of people were looking at 
everything that wrestling did on every level that um, were, you know, as far as sexual harassment suits and the way people were treated, and they just didn't want that to come up in court like, hey, you have your guys take razor blades out and cut themselves. So they weren't allowed to do it at the time. Bret Hart and Roddy Piper, however, both came up through Calgary Stampede Wrestling. They both uh, came from an era where, you know, uh, bleeding in a match was often used as a dramatic storytelling device. And so they decided, well, since we're not allowed to, we're going to need to make this look like uh, we didn't do it on purpose. So we're going to have to, you know, be very careful and be very professional and uh, seamless with how we do this. And in Bret Hart's book, he describes how they it was done so seamlessly and so perfectly that Vince McMahon, everybody backstage, were none the wiser. And Bret Hart bleeds like crazy, and you have people, you know, uh, that are breaking some rules, but they're both good guys. There's a really good promo to start the match. Uh, Bobby Heenan is doing a great job on commentary. He's hilarious. He's great throughout that whole show, by the way. WrestleMania 8 is really worth a watch. Bit of an odd show, but um, a lot of really big-time standout performances on that show between Bobby Heenan, the World Championship match between Randy Savage, Ric Flair, and, of course, this match, Bret Hart and Roddy Piper. Um, classic, classic. What do you think of it? Uh, it's definitely the match of Roddy Piper's career. Um, okay. Okay. Not not to uh, gloss over WrestleMania eight, but to go back to the Royal Rumble in '92, it's worth to watch that simply for Piper and Flair's interaction and Keenan's yeah. blow up on commentary. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, but going back to the match, it people need to realize, and I think it's true, Piper was never pinned on WWF television. They like I was telling you earlier. He was always getting beat by DQs or walking out, or you know, walking out. For Roddy Piper to get pinned was a big deal, and it—no disrespect to Kurt Henning, Mister Perfect—but this is the match that launched Bret Hart okay. into a next level. Hogan wouldn't do the job for him. Roddy Piper did the job for him. Uh, Roddy Piper, and it's like you teased—they both in that match tease their old heel personas yeah. and the, the yeah. you know the psychology of the match was just great of am I going to go over the line to retain my title and, and the match and the finish was simple Roddy Piper had Bret Hart in the corner with the sleeper hold and Hart ends up kicking the top turnbuckle and rolling it over yeah. and it's did Piper get beat or did Piper lose or did Piper get, beat himself Yeah. And um, but at the end of it Piper hands the belt to Bret Hart pats him on the back and walks out with him and Bret Hart is going to be the guy that leads that company the next five years. Fantastic match, just everything about it. Everything, everything. There was a sequence in there and I I can't remember it off the top of my head, but it was just perfection. And and I said, for for Roddy Piper to lose clean to Bret Hart, people now need to understand that's a big deal. Yeah. Uh, We... We don't see Piper again until he is back making a big time, uh, another another moment that people will be talking about forever. And I'm talking about, of course, the backlot brawl with Goldust at WrestleMania 12. Uh, at the time, I... <laughs> 
As a kid, I thought it was crazy, but now looking back on it, I'm like, that was really, really crazy. And it's funny because um, I heard a story by Goldust um, on Jericho's podcast, I believe it was. He was talking about how it was, once again, a time when um, they weren't allowed to blade. And both Roddy Piper and Goldust um, thought that they should uh, they should try to get a little bit of blood without blading because they thought it would add to the especially with how intense the rivalry was uh, going up to that and so because those of you I mean we're in 2015 now it's it's impossible to understand the level of heat and the intensity of the gold dust character when it first came out in 1996 <laughs> so it's impossible for us to explain but it definitely warranted uh, some blood so they come up with this plan where Roddy Piper's like oh yeah I've done it to 100 guys don't worry about it just let me I'm gonna get you at the corner of my knuckle right on this part of your head and it's gonna be fine so they go for it they do it and Piper just bow pops him right on the top of the head doesn't work Bow, pops him again right on the top of the head doesn't work and he's like shit and so they just kind of move on but gold dust head after they're on you can hear it it's like a just like a melon hitting the ground just and it's disgusting and gold dust the top of his head is just swollen for the rest uh, of the match <laughs> yeah but uh just a crazy thing you gotta go back and see it wrestlemania 12 isn't really one of my favorites but it's just so different and just it was it was insane to happen have it happen in 1996. This this backlot brawl and all that went into it. Yeah, because at the time Piper was the WWF interim president, which yep. I think he was the only guy to be the either president or commissioner of both WWF and WCW and storyline. Because I think later on he becomes president of WCW. Um, but to speak to the, the social commentary at the time of the homophobia surrounding the gold dust character yeah. in 1995 yeah. you gotta contextualize the times you know it's yeah it was people weren't ready for it yet but damn gold dust gold dust played up oh you know, yeah the, the, to the crowd so well and he, i mean he came out of a bust ass feud with razor ramon yeah and and then into this with roddy piper and he loved roddy piper's power and <laughs> just trying to seduce yeah. piper and... i mean what you guys got there gotta listen to is this isn't like regular heat this is legitimate actual um bigotry like hatred actual hatred yes. like towards this person um and it's just the intensity of that heat and how much he's playing up every you know stereotype that these people all hate about him is, is yeah it was incredible at the time yeah you have Roddy Piper playing the every guy everyday man you know the fighting man the working tough class guy, man yep. tough guy and then you got the, the androgynous gold dust playing to everybody's you know insecurities about insecurity the, yeah. and homophobia it just worked it, it, but as you said that there's kind of parts of that match the actual match itself is fine for what it is yeah it's kind, you know it's yeah. it's a shit show, but it's interesting because it's yeah. so unique. Because there yeah. are, I mean, and they beat the shit out of each other. Yeah, in the and they beat lot. the shit out of each yeah, other for but, real. But yeah. God, the stupid white Bronco thing, and that that just reeks of Vince McMahon. Like, you yeah, know, just put the to OJ put stupid into it. Yeah, yeah, it has to put something stupid in it. It would have worked fine, but man, it, it, it 
it goes on for what an hour and a half. <laughs> well, the match itself. Don't get scared, everybody out there. It doesn't go. <laughs> what basically what happens is what we saw recently on Extreme Rules is that a brawl happens. They drive away in a car trace. An hour or so, hour and a half goes by in the show, and then the cars show back up at the event, and then they finish the match in the ring. Very interesting, very unique, crazy for 1996. Yes. Yeah. So the next time we see Piper is in uh, 97, 98, where he joins up with WCW, and as with many things that interacted with the Hulk Hogan and NWO uh, black vortex of despair, um, a lot of things were kind of a shit show and were not uh, capitalized on or taken to the right place. But Piper has a lot of good promos and um, some pretty decent matches during this time. Um, and he has what I thought was actually a pretty good series of matches and a feud with with Ric Flair before he left the WCW later. What do you remember about this whole this whole era when he comes back and when he's fighting the NWO when he's uh and and the, the the it's actually not uh you know super well known but um I really enjoyed the the Ric Flair Roddy Piper feud um yeah um 1996 cuz he he comes back at Halloween Havoc after Hogan beats Savage, and the show kind of lingers on, and then Piper comes out and cuts a promo at the end of the pay-per-view for about ten minutes. Yeah, and it was smart on WCW's part. We're gonna take the biggest feud the WWF had, but we're gonna reverse the roles. Yeah, Piper's now the face, Hogan's now the heel. So not only did Hogan and Piper headline a WrestleMania, they go on to headline a Starcade, which well. I think is yep. the only combination of guys that have ever done that. The, headline to big shows on each company and Piper and I remember watching Starcade 96 because there was a lot of confusion about it you would think that in the biggest show of the year that the title would be on the line yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but good old WCW you don't realize it's a non-title match until Piper beats Hogan with a sleeper hold and yeah he doesn't get a world title <laughs> It was just for the love of the game. Um, yeah. That feud that I'm talking about, Piper joins up with the Frick Flair and the Four Horsemen, and yes. then and they end up feuding later, but they have a series of awesome matches against the NWO and then matches against each other um, yes. from spring of 97 through the fall of 97. So everybody check out those pay-per-views from WCW. All a lot of good stuff. Yeah, and then even later on, I mean, after you get through a pretty good feud with Flair and Piper in 97... And this speaks more to WCW. Piper beats Hogan again in a steel cage at Halloween Havoc. Once so, again, yeah. And he beats him twice, but the title's not on the line either time. It, that's just the frustration of that company. But there are some some things that Piper managed to make gold. Um, those are my personal memories. Um, now, obviously, after that, he, he pretty much uh, retired from full... Uh, full in full time, full in ring competition. Um, but that's a lot of the stuff that you guys can go back and check out. Um, it sucks because this is all in this one, this same match. But uh, Piper also, I'm fairly certain, was involved in my Survivor Series match that I highlighted from 2006. The last time I was doing one of these retrospective uh, 
podcasts where the Legends took on the Spirit Squad at Survivor Series 2006 in Philadelphia. So that was my last uh, wrestling memory of him. And I guess in uh, in closing, I don't. It's hard to say if anybody will have the impact or the influence and uh, gave us gave us a lot of the things that we have today. Um, right up there with Dusty Rhodes as far as um, if it wasn't for Hot Rod, we wouldn't have a lot of the things that shaped the business as it is today. Yeah, I think, too, a big lingering thing with him is his ability to suspend your disbelief for 30 years, I thought him and Mr. T hated each other, yeah. and and him and Hogan hated each other. But in reality, you know, they were best friends behind the scenes, apparently. And and I guess it's we forgot to mention WrestleMania two against Mr. T. Not a great match, but the psychology of it's interesting to watch Piper get frustrated from the boxing match and then just blow his shit and become a wrestling match with the scoop slam of Well, from what... Uh, now, this might have been Roddy Piper working, but from what I've heard on various shoot interviews and documentaries is that that last part is kind of legit. Like, that really wasn't the planned ending, but Piper... I guess Mr. T was not... Uh was not real it this is just what he told it and he might have been working there might have been something updated to this i might sound stupid right now but he said that you know uh mr t wasn't really interested in working with him and in cooperating shall i say and um wasn't super and piper's like hey you're coming into our show you're coming into our business you don't dictate to me like you're not going to cooperate and you're not going to do what we're supposed to do out here and so, and that's how it was going, and they were supposed to be kind of going back. Because Piper was a legit Gold Gloves champion. And I don't think that Mr. T had that much going on as far as, like, real fighting. Um, so, you know, Piper's like, you know, you're going to work with me or I can kick the shit out of you if you want. And instead of doing that, he just slammed him, got disqualified, off away we go into a brouhaha. Yeah, I, I, I saw an interview with Mr. T in the last week where someone talked to him about the death and i guess it, apparently it was a work okay yeah where you know mr t really he knew his place and he knew that piper was going to be the guy that kind of drug him along and all that but they they kept the work going for years okay see that so, must be what it be must yeah. have been what it was piper once again suspension of disbelief he, he made it sound you know he's one of those old school guys that you never you, you never you really never know you know what i mean yeah, they live their gimmick. Yeah, yeah, yep. So, uh, um, I hope we did a, a decent job of giving you guys some stuff to go check out on Piper. Um, obviously, I think the yeah, there's a WrestleMania Rewind, Piper versus Hogan. Uh, there's you know all that stuff that that he was involved in is not hard to find. But I would definitely look up the gems, um, the WrestleMania eights. The WrestleMania 12 for the spectacle of it. Um, his work with WCW from spring 97 through fall 97. Um, all all very interesting stuff. And I believe there's a show, a, a uh, actual rival show on the network that has Piper versus Hogan highlighted. As so. it will should. Yeah. As it will should. So uh, as as uh, <clears throat> odd as it was, uh, Piper was a true professional, and he would want the show to keep on rolling. And that's what we're going to do. Um, we're going to briefly, well, 
briefer than usual, not not too briefly. We're going to cover, give some thoughts on what's coming up on the big weekend. A huge weekend coming up. NXT TakeOver, SummerSlam. I wonder uh, wonder if they're going to start doing this for the big shows. Um, you know, start, start putting the TakeOver the night before in the same uh, little Metroplex as the, the big WWE pay-per-view. It makes sense. I mean, it's been a track record for at least the last four or five years where either Ring of Honor or TNA or some other independents make a big weekend. They almost act like parasites on the WWE and create these shows on that weekend. The WWE has seen how popular these independents are. I think the WWE has legit concern or at least have noticed Ring of Honor. And NXT is going to be put out there to take that away from them now. And now, See... I've seen you say that. I've seen Mark Madden write about it. I feel like that's kind of a kind of a nihilistic way to look at it. I look at it from a perspective of, um, you know, it's Triple H's baby. Uh, he has his finger on the pulse a little bit more of uh, young, hip, upcoming, um, what other generations are doing. I think he sees that there is a whole nother niche to tap into. He sees there's a wrestling audience that is thirsty for a, the type of program that NXT gives them. He sees um, another audience that wants the kind of gritty feel that you get from some of these shows and from some of these buildings that they work out of. Um, and so that's I think it's more a case of that, that they would like to, um, you know, there's that part of the wrestling audience out there that is super passionate and uh, are willing to spend money. I That's think it's the thing. That's the adult male demographic. You know, um, it's great to appeal to families. It's great to appeal to kids, but kids don't have debit cards. And I know that's what I bought my tickets to this NXT takeover, and what I bought the network with, and what I bought my Kevin Owens T-shirt with was my <laughs> debit card. So. Um, that's another niche and another source of money that the WWE wants to tap into and they're trying to give you along with at the same time allowing your future stars to develop in front of that kind of an audience and uh, working on that kind of a show Yeah, the calendar works for these takeovers to be attached to SummerSlam Survivor Series Royal Rumble and Wrestlemania and you create a weekend and make these weekends you know, four times a year, these destination events for wrestling fans, it's got Goldmine written all over it. Oh, yeah. And, and especially if they, you know, they start doing, you know, my big idea that I've been trumpeting for a long time and that I've talked with you about um, off-air is those the big four shows, the, the classics, they really ought to be always, always ought to be in the, the old-school territory towns. They should always be Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, New York... Boston, um, Chicago. Chicago, oh my god, Chicago, you know, places like that should always get, maybe not WrestleMania, because you want to trot that around everywhere, um, but as far as Rumble, SummerSlam, and Survivor Series go, all those shows should, should be in those old school buildings, and I mean, how awesome would it be if you did Survivor Series, you did an NXT show the night before, and then you had... You know, an NXT team NXT against team whatever on the Survivor Series show. <gasps> Got to put them over that way. I mean, there's so many different w- different ways to do it. You do 
you record a takeover the same uh, same weekend as Royal Rumble, and you have some guys you know win a match on Takeover, a multi man match from Takeover, and they get a chance to be in the Rumble the next night. Yeah. You know, you could do all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah, I th- I think I think it wor- I think it would work, and I, I really think we might not see it for Survivor Series or Royal Rumble. We might because. NXT just sold out a 13,000-seat arena. That was what we were going to get to next. Yeah. yeah. But um, I could definitely see WrestleMania turning into a bigger weekend where they would move the Hall of Fame maybe to Friday night and put TakeOver on Saturday. Yeah, yeah. And then WrestleMania Sunday. And look at Super Bowl week. You have crap all week for that. Why not capitalize on that? You have a network. You need content. It's perfect. It is. It is. And um, that's what we're going to get to next is, you know, when they announced that they were doing TakeOver in Brooklyn, same weekend as SummerSlam, I was concerned because, you know, the, the, the brand is is mine and yours and KB's and a lot of real wrestling fans. You know, it's our baby. And I was like, man, they're going to put it in that big building. Uh, I, you know, it's not going to look good when they have to tarp off the whole upper half of the of the thing and it's not because it's a lack of quality of the show or the wrestlers it's just WWE to, to me personally and it drives me nuts has not done a proper job of promoting it as something legitimate they haven't promoted it in the way that you expect somebody to promote something that they expected to sell out a 13,000 seat venue so I was really concerned that they're not going to be able to put you know very many people in there um, you know you're going to have a crowd of 6,000 in a stadium for of 13,000. It's going to suck. And then I tried to buy my tickets. And I'm getting five rows from the back wall. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. Here we go. Now, I ended up uh, doing some StubHub action. And you guys should all look for me because I'll be sitting on uh, opposite camera side, right in the middle, down towards the bottom of the lower deck awesome um but yeah they sold out this building with not you know not very much promotion that brand as much as i hate to sound like i'm being negative about the brand it's it doesn't feel like it's nearly as hot as it was the first time it went on the road um in may the the main match is a rematch featuring uh kevin owens who i think is currently on a something like a 0 and 173 match losing streak. He's like opposite Goldberg right now. Um, and Finn Balor. Uh, so it's 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 too impressive. Just really impressive. Yeah, when you get people like Vince Russo saying people don't want to watch wrestling, fuck you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you. yeah. That 13,000-seat arena got With- sold out by NXT with the NXT name only. With hardly yeah. any with hardly any fucking yeah. promotion. Yeah, can we say laugh out loud TNA at that one or <laughs> because <laughs> yeah, did, they right? ever, did they ever <laughs> get close did they ever get close to selling half of that many tickets in their best days? To anything. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Their best right. show might be six thousand. Yeah, TNA, TNA couldn't Hulk? sell 6,000 tickets with Hulk yeah. fucking Hogan. Fucking yeah. NXT sold out with with Bailey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's just amazing, and it speaks to the brand and the power that it has right now. It speaks and, to, yeah, exactly. The name brand and, the, the like I said, that niche, that yeah. intense, passionate niche of wrestling fans that want a, a program that is like this. 
ECW couldn't sell out a 13,000-seat arena Fuck in its no. hottest day. Yeah. And that'll piss piss some of our hardcores off, but that's the damn truth. Yeah. They would never sniff 13,000. And I'm an ECW apologist, but <laughs> I even know they would never get close to that. Well, you know what would? Well, in some times, the old school uh, NWA territories. Yep. And you know what this show feels like a lot of the time? An old school NWA territory. You know what it felt like when I was there in Philadelphia in that theater? An old school NWA territory. You know what it looked like on that video that I saw people send in from Albany, New York in that old smoky armory that looked fucking awesome? <laughs> An old school NWA territory. So I am excited for this old school NWA territory level of passion from 13,000 people. How impressive is Sin Balor's entrance going to look with 13,000 oh, people God. doing his movements with him? Um, there's so many things about it that are just going to be... It's just going to be crazy. You haven't seen... You know, we've had, we've had the Chicago shows. Uh, we've had Philadelphia. But, like, when you were comparing it to ECW and you were comparing it to these other kind of cult-following, um, super-passionate uh, grassroots type promotions, but you're going to get that level of intensity and passion with a 13,000 people crowd. It just yeah, it has so much potential to be so incredible. Yeah, I think even for a two-hour show, it's going to be... It, there's the potential for it to be a lot hotter of a show than SummerSlam, as far as crowd participation oh, goes. Oh, absolutely, as far uh, as crowd a, participation. Yeah, it, it's just... I couldn't even fathom, you know, that that something like this would happen in, in the best case scenario. Yeah, I thought maybe we'd be getting to this point at this time next year. I yeah. thought, you know, it, they would have a big coming out party WrestleMania weekend. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. But yeah, this is we're we're you're down a Tommy, you're down Zane, you're down a lot of the big draws that made NXT what it was. Yep. You're building a card off of Balor versus. Owens, and that that's that's basically. I mean, Banks and Bailey are going to be good. Don't I'm not disrespecting anybody else. Banks and Bailey is going to be good, but where the where's the where's the build? Like it, I mean, yeah, you've had a mini version of Sammy's redemption where Bailey. It's been Bailey's road to redemption where she's been going through these competitors, but it seems like it's all kind of happened in the last three weeks. You know what I mean? Where they where, where they went this direction. So where's the build on that? I am very much looking forward to Samoa Joe and Baron Corbin. But yeah. same thing. They've had two weeks to build it. Yeah. Yeah, it, it seems more natural for Joe versus Rhino, doesn't it? So really, but the, your draw is Balor Owens and the NXT name. And yeah. Just incredible. Incredible. So, speaking of which... Um, uh, I'm gonna, I'll be going into this on a... In a soon to be released episode but you know judging with how there seems to be some clashing in the upper crust of WWE as far as creative when it comes to Kevin Owens um, I got a feeling that Triple H is going to be very encouraging of he and of Finn Balor to take this ladder match and do do what, everything that they can do with it yeah. I, I'm in yeah, I'm in 100% agreement with you. Um, I know you've you've got plans of discussing the situation. Yeah. Um, 
it, it changes kind of my perspective of how the match is going to go down because I think if there is legit a legit issue backstage between Triple H and Dunn, we might see Triple H. It's just speculation. I could see him putting the NXT title back on Owens and getting him off the main roster until something happens in the WWE proper. Yeah. He Triple H is clearly all in on Kevin Owens and he is not going to let the old guard. Hey, did you realize that Kevin Owens is a little overweight? No, no shit. No way, no, really? Yeah, no shit, you know. Yeah, he's not going to let the old guard ruin Kevin Owens. He will put him back on NXT before he lets Vince McMahon and Kevin Dunn run him into the ground. I fully believe that. It 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 should be Oh, it's 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 there's a lot of expectations. There's a lot of because you know Kevin Owens has been in a lot of prolific ladder matches before. <laughs> He's great friends with Sami Zayn. Sami Zayn's also great friends with Finn Balor. You know they're all backstage together working on this. Like it's going to be it's going to be big time. Going to be big time. Um our other main match on on the show is uh Bailey going to get Sasha Banks for the NXT Women's title. I don't really see any other way that this could possibly go, given the storyline and given the fact that Banks is now on uh, the WWE main roster, uh, never carrying the women's title with her for... Well, I won't say for whatever reason, because the reasons are quite obvious why she wouldn't be carrying that belt around while Nikki Bella stood across the ring with her belt on. Um, but I don't really see any way, other way this can go um, but Bailey going over. Yeah, that, now, I think this... This is that interesting time. point that I've seen uh, brought up. Um, shout out Skeletal Sam um, is: Do we maybe, because of the way NXT is presented and um, the way it likes to make a point of the fact that it's different and things are different down there, um, do possibly Bailey and Sasha Banks go on last? You give Kevin Owens and Finn uh, Balor a lot of time in the middle of the show. Let them go balls out crazy. You know, don't worry about nothing. Go for it. And then you have uh, the feel the feel good finish with Bailey finally, finally taking this women's belt. I can't. I, I like Bailey and all, but she is not strong enough of a face, in my opinion, uh, strong enough of a diva or NXT woman to close the show out. Maybe if it was Charlotte. Or someone else, but uh, I just don't know if Bailey and Banks could close the show. I think Banks could. I don't know if Bailey could. Hey, you're going to be there. Is that something that you would want to see? You're a paying customer. I'm telling you right now, in Philly, you would have been shocked. Okay. That place sounded like a fucking bomb went off inside it <laughs> when when Bailey's music played. It was ridiculous, <laughs> and um. Yeah, no, she's very, very over with that crowd, and she has been a lot around a, a long time working to get to this belt. Um, I wouldn't mind it. I wouldn't mind if the show was set up to where we get a crazy ass twenty twenty five minute brutal ladder match in the middle of the show. You know, maybe the second or third match out there, and then we close it out with with Bailey finally getting her moment in Sun to get the title belt. I wouldn't yeah, I mind, but I see also what you're saying too. Is because you you can't look back in the catalog and find these classic, um, you know, in ring wars that Bailey has had, like you have with Charlotte and Natalia and Becky Lynch and 
Sasha Banks. Yeah, the traditionalist in me just uh, it always says the the world title should go on last. Yeah, that too. That too. That too. I can understand and, that. And the thing with Bailey and Banks, do you think possibly, and this would be the WWE going crazy with Night of Champions coming up, that maybe you could have a Banks versus Bree or Nikki, whichever Bella's the damn champion right now. A title for title? Maybe not title for title, but just to have them both against each other. Maybe, but you don't. Th- I don't know if they're that creative. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, so those are our two main storylines, along with obviously uh, Samoa Joe and Baron Corbin. I'm interested to see that. I think that's gonna be a knock them down, drag them out, Hoss fight. Um, yeah, and then Liger. I think making his first WWE. Oh, yeah, don't forget is, that. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's been <sighs> the build to this has been weird for it to be in the biggest show ever. It's been kind of a weird build, but I guess they since they sold it out in like a week, they're like, well, who cares? We don't yeah. need, you know, it's not like we got to talk people in the building. People want to come. Yeah, seeing seeing Liger in a WWE event is significant be, just because it's yeah, never happened before. Insane. And I thought of this the other day. Uh, you know where Liger works, right? Mm-hmm. New Japan. WWE has clearly noticed, taken note of New Japan, and is not afraid to show New Japan, um, you know, the emblem and the stuff and their shows, not afraid to acknowledge them, and that people want to see certain people who work for New Japan. Do you see where I might be going with this? Yes. It's too good to even think about this maybe ever possibly happening, but the door appears open. Someday, someway, somehow, maybe we're going to get Nakamura in an NXT ring. Maybe someday we're going to get Okada in a WWE ring. (laughs) I don't think these things are outside of the realm of possibility after what we've seen here. What do you think? (laughs) Yeah, I'm a... I I believe that WWE might not see New Japan as an equal to WWE but I can see a working relationship with NXT and WCW did this a lot back in the early 90s where they talent swapped with New Japan pro wrestling I could see that kind of thing working out with NXT it just NXT it would fit better well yeah I don't see it I wouldn't look at it at all as um, WWE acknowledging them as an equal or even WWE proper even being involved with it. I'm more talking about like what we were discussing earlier with how NXT is uh, clearly catering to that niche audience. Yeah. A niche audience that is for the most part, I mean everybody who I know who likes NXT, who loves NXT is very well aware of New Japan and some of their top and talents who are super entertaining. So I think it's more just, I mean, because obviously that's why they're bringing in Liger, because they're catering to that audience. Everybody, you know, freaked out when it was announced that Liger was coming over, and they loved that. They had a show in Tokyo. So obviously, uh, that's part of them catering to that niche that they think that they're going for with NXT. So that's 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 where the, the level of the working relationship would be. Would that would once again just be them catering to that niche, which would be let's bring in the hottest guy, um, you know, in the guys with the most notoriety from New Japan in Nakamura and Okada. Now, whether 
I mean, and it's not outside the realm of possibility because, you know, you think about it and you say, okay, well, New Japan, that's like their top guys, and they're going to send them to WWE's developmental. But you got to understand, New Japan already sends them over here to work with Ring of Honor. Yeah. At that level. I got tickets to a show, a fucking Ring of Honor show on Friday night, the night before um, TakeOver, where Nakamura and Okada are going to be wrestling. So they're already sending them here to work in front of crowds of a thousand people. So there's no reason to think that they wouldn't send them over here to work a big NXT show or work a program or work a takeover. How cool would it be if a Hideo Itami decided when he came back to get revenge, you know, he brings over some New Japan guys to help him in a six-man tag or something like that. You know, you never know. Yeah, and that's kind of the the thinking outside the box, that uh, the traditional WWE thinking, and and it works. And I, and I think with the network, all things are possible. And like yep. I said, Triple H is in touch with that fan base. With Triple H and the network, doors are opening. The new the Samoa Joe situation when he first showed up was really, you know, never been done in the WWE before. Um, this New Japan working relationship that we're hearing scuttling around. Um, they got a lot of guys from, uh, is it Evolve? I, I'm probably fucking this up. If Ty Burner was on the show right now, he would know exactly <laughs> which fucking indie promotion I'm talking about. I think um, it's it's I think it's Evolve, the one that you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not where, Dragon Gate. Where they got you know a working relationship yeah. where guys come up on the regular and um, work for WWE, do some training spots, um, some some jobs sometimes. Um, so the door is open. Hopefully, they keep pushing it, keep on going. Um, the last thing we'll say about Takeover, uh, Enzo and Cass have got to be debuting at SummerSlam or, or Monday Night Raw in the same in Brooklyn. That don't they? Don't they have to be? Yeah, to go with the VOD villains. <laughs> I, honestly, this I'm afraid for that match. I'm afraid it's going to get Daniel Bryan. Like, remember. The Royal Rumble, where Rey Mysterio got booed, and where Roman Reigns' whole fucking character, everything about everything that they were doing with him got ruined yeah. because of Daniel Bryan. Not really because of Daniel Bryan, but WWE's decisions regarding Daniel Bryan. Um, I'm afraid of a situation like that happening. Um, the VOD villains are, are, are a nice team, but Enzo and Cass have been there since the first fucking episode from Full Sail. You know, they've been working on getting these tag titles for years now. And now we're in Brooklyn, we're in their backyard, and you don't even have them on the card as of right now? Yeah, that's a, almost a Zack Ryder type of <laughs> don't yeah, keep me off Long Island, you know, New York shows. I, you see, yeah, that, there's got to be a payoff because it makes zero sense that this isn't their night. It really should, and that's the only that's the only reason I can think of that makes any kind of sense. Like they've had their shots, they went number one contender match again. They didn't didn't get it done. They're not on the show. They have got to be debuting at SummerSlam or on Monday Night Raw. They have to be. They yeah. have to be. Not just because of how silly this situation looks, but with the fact that time, uh, primetime players slash New Day are kind of running out of kind of running out of teams to to work with. Yeah. Until, you know, the return of the Usos um, and Enzo and Cass come up. So, I, it, it has to be. It just doesn't make any sense otherwise. I'm in agreement with you. It, it, it's, that's one of those head scratchers unless there's a big plan. 
and I don't know. So moving on to the show that they might be debuting on, how we uh, how we feeling about about SummerSlam? On the surface, a seven a seven match card on a four hour show is a little scary. Yeah. Uh, there, there seems like a lot of filler, or there's going to be some matches thrown together. But if they add Ziggler Rusev, at least it's got a background story to it. If yep. they add Orton versus Sheamus, at least there's a backstory to it. And it, it seems pretty obvious, I think, after Raw, that both of those are... Well, I don't think it'll be Ziggler-Rusev. I think it'll be a mixed tag. I think they're yeah. going to go Ziggler-Lana uh, Ziggler, Lana against uh, Summer Rae-Rusev. Yeah, and if, then Sheamus and Orton. If they hold Ziggler off of SummerSlam for a WWE Studios movie, that tells you everything you need to know about the ups of that company. Yeah. <laughs> Just... Uh, it would be unbelievable, but... Unfortunately, it would be believable. Well, hopefully, the extended time and the the lack of matches. I mean, hopefully, it makes it so people get uh get more time to wrestle. Goodness forbid, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. God forbid people be able to go out there and put on twenty minute matches without a bunch of shit. Speaking of which, um, Cena and Rollins, uh, their styles meshed pretty well. That was a pretty bust ass match they put on between um. You know, on Raw, when when Cena's nose got Picassoed, um, what do we? Uh, it it kind of just feels like, and and it's not even really in a negative way. I I mean this. It just sort of feels like this is the direction that it would go. Um, it kind of feels like it's kind of inevitable that we're coming. That Cena's about to take this take this title back. He's worked with everybody he can work with for the U.S. title. Which, uh, by the way, this makes us even more fucking stupid that he didn't drop the belt to Kevin Owens at the last <laughs> show, for fuck's sake. But anyways, I mean, he's pretty much worked with everybody to work with on that level. Um, Rollins, I mean, who else does he have to feud with? Uh, this is... Uh, feels like a fairly natural progression that this is this is going to be it. Big Show, yeah. SummerSlam. Um, yeah. Well, I think with the other match on the card, they can get away with a double DQ or a no contest finish. Yeah, that's true. And then they can continue. And goodness that- knows that the WWE can figure out a way to get away with a double DQ or a, or a bullshit finish. They're going to fucking yeah. take it. And see, this match, you know, it could be... This could be a feud that goes a few months, because you, like I said before, you got Night of Champions coming up, and another title versus title match at Night of Champions would be fitting. That would be, a, yeah, the, that's another thing that WWE loves to do, is uh, run shit into the ground. Yeah. That was and special it, the first time. And I think if you start now, you go on to the next match, you could have a logical, logical, logical Hell in the Cell match at Hell in the Cell. Wow, yep, <laughs> see? <laughs> I, I'm giving them an awful lot. Yeah, of you're selling this. You're you're signing us up for 12 weeks of fucking Rollins versus Cena. So uh, we'll all be thanking you for that when that happens, and we're all ready to fucking jump out a window in six weeks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if they trade wins or trade bullshit or whatever, the Hell in a Cell could be an actual fitting conclusion to the feud. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And it, it it yeah. Do we want to see 12 weeks of it? No, but. That's what the WWE does. They are three month program, and then the next big pay per view comes, and then you got another three month program after that. That's just how they run their ship. So you could see a, a bullshit a schmaz finish coming up for this. 
Yeah, considering what is likely to be the main event, they can get away with it. So, that main event, uh, it's been a, you know, I didn't think much of it when it started, but the build has been fucking awesome for Undertaker and Brock Lesnar. Yeah, I, you and me both kind of uh, were very hesitant after Battleground, but it just, there's something magical, even about a 50-something-year-old Undertaker, when that man gets pissed off on screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is unbelievable. And it makes me suspend my disbelief that an old man Undertaker could beat Brock Lesnar. Yep. And, and that's just the power of that character and what he's meant to me for 25 years. Yeah. <laughs> that's I'm 34 years old. This is a guy that's been wrestling since I was nine. Yeah. You know that, so I just, I love it. It makes me feel like a kid again with The Undertaker. And you know he's not he's not satisfied with his last two matches. No. It seems like he's motivated to, to crank it up for this one. Because the match with Lesnar was shit. The match with Wyatt was underwhelming. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think, uh, I, I hope he can remain physically, because you know Brock is going to beat the shit out he's of gonna him. He's going to go to it, yep. yep. Yeah, and, and you know... I, it's just can that old man's body hold up? Yeah, and, and I don't know how to. On paper, I don't like the idea of the Undertaker beating Brock Lesnar because I just don't think Brock should lose. But yeah. I think the obvious setup is WrestleMania 32. Yeah, yeah. But but then again, it's like Undertaker has never beat Brock Lesnar. Ooh. Could you see him losing two in a row and then... And then coming back for the, the final one at WrestleMania. The final one, yeah. and then that would be the end of his career. You know, yeah, going could be, to, could be. Never beating Brock, losing a retirement match, but I think Vince wants that one and one, and here's our rematch. Yeah, because, yeah, once again, going back to the way WWE does things. Um, I'm excited to see it, though. I, I think I think they'll, they'll, they'll do well. Um, speaking of Brock Lesnar, his, his, his athleticism, his ability to you know, leap around and leap right over that rope that we always marvel at. Fucking Stephen Amel. How do you say that guy's name? Amel? Is that? Yeah, yes, Stephen that's Amel. Fucking like, yeah. arrow from the TV show. He was in the ring in two jumps from the ground to the apron and over the rope. I am Man. excited. I, you know what? God damn it. This is a shit show, but it does. It gives a Neville a really cool spot on a huge show. It gives Cody Rhodes a really cool, huge spot on a, on a big show. It, somehow, someway, it has even imagined, managed to give uh, Barrett a really big shot a spot on a big show. Which, by the way, I read that, um, thankfully, somehow a miracle from heaven, Barrett busted out the Bad News Barrett gimmick again on main event this week. Thank God. Because one of the most inexplicable things that has happened in the last two years of wrestling is why the WWE took one of the most over gimmicks in wrestling in the Bad News Barrett gimmick and decided that it just wasn't going to exist anymore for no reason whatsoever. Um, Sounds like he busted it out again. So, hopefully with the momentum from the SummerSlam match and him getting that gimmick back out again, maybe, you know... He can uh he can he can rejuvenate what he had. It would actually be kind of funny if he mixed them. If you know he did the the King Barrett thing, but he was also still doing the bad news thing. That would be kind of funny a little bit. Yeah, yeah, he's good enough. He can pull it off as some sort of hybrid. Yeah. But the the King Barrett has just been a failure. And getting back to Stephen Mel, from everything that I've read about him, 
is that he does most of the stunts on Arrow. Okay. So he's physically he's going to be able to do this, you know, and it seems like he's all in. So you know, we you don't need a twenty minute classic out of him. He's obviously protected in the tag team setting. Neville's yep. going to be doing the heavy lifting, and um, you know, I I think the match is going to be surprisingly good. You know, oh, I think yeah. he's going to go in there. I'm very interested. I don't know about excited, but I'm very interested. What I'm extra interested to see does Amel come out in the full the full fucking arrow getup? I I, or... I would. I think so. When you're, I mean, considered... what else is he gonna do? Is he gonna? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you see Stardust dressed up like he is, and I don't know when the season premiere of Arrow is, but it it's it's cheesy to most people, but it's brilliant cross promotion. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I'm I'm expecting big things. I think I think this could be maybe our best celeb uh, participation right behind um, Floyd Mayweather. Yeah. Yeah, it. I see because you're actually dealing with a guy that looks like he's athletic enough to be able to yep. do it. Yep, yep. And I think he respects the business enough to do it. You know, I think where you had someone like a David Arquette that respected the business, but he wasn't believable. Ath- in any yeah, way, believable. Yeah. You know, and he's in there with basically the job squad. Yeah. So it, it's he's not in there with some upper mid card heel that oh my god like a Kevin Owens. Like, mm-hmm. what the hell? Well, that'll you know? be next, but... Yeah, that'll be next, apparently, but, you know... Um... Kevin Owens put over Elmo or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So, speaking of which, um, it would be much better if the match was for the U.S. title, like it fucking should be, but uh, I'm expecting big things. Big things out of that match, because both of those guys, Cesaro and Kevin Owens, got everything in the world to prove... God, yeah, this... Oh, you don't think I can, can connect? You don't think people are into us? You don't think I could be a big star? Well, f- fucking watch this. Beat that. That's what they're going to say when they come back through that curtain. I could see... It could be one of two. It's either going to be a classic or it's going to be a complete fuckfest because they're only going to give them like six minutes and they're still going to try to put everything in there. So, But I'm excited. I'm excited to see how it goes. And a fucking four-hour show, they better not give these guys six goddamn minutes. Yeah, right? Yeah, that I, I think you're talking about two highly motivated individuals that have been told by the upper-ups in that company. Vince McMahon has said it on the network publicly. Yeah. Cesaro can't get over. My ass that man cannot get yep. over. He's gotten himself over three or four times in and spite of that company. you can't do anything with him. They yeah. can't do anything. It's just... Oh, it, it, like you say, I think you were talking with KB... He's almost got that that hitman quality to yeah. him right now, oh, yeah. and, and it, it's it's awesome. They continue to uh, try to give him material that I swear is is purposely set up to cut his fucking legs out from underneath him, but he's he's still doing well, still getting over. Um, yeah, I'm excited to see both of them go out there and and really show off what they can do. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess this is Cesaro's got to go over uh, considering if. KOs in a bust ass match the night before. Yeah, that's you know it, it, it'll be pre- he'll be protected if he loses. Yeah, Cesaro won't be. Tag title match, the multi lady women's match, probably both going to be shit shows. I think it's hilarious that it's pretty obvious that they're purposely going out of their way to let Nikki Bella hold that title to break AJ's record. That oh, makes God. me laugh because AJ because AJ it's it's kind of a, like a sniping back and forth thing because AJ didn't tell him she was leaving until after WrestleMania. 
she just like showed up the next night and was like, hey, I'm retiring, so that they couldn't shit on her, and she still got a WrestleMania payday, and now they're going back, and they're leaving the belt on Nikki Bella so she can break AJ's record. All, all just hilarious to me, it really is. But, uh, that'll be what it is. The tag title match, I really hope New Day finds a way to uh, sneak out with a win somehow and get those belts back. Um, and then, you know, possibly, oh shit, who knows, maybe a 24-hour title reign, and then that's when Enzo and Cass come out the next night take it off of them. You where know what I mean? Ra- or something like that. Yeah, where is Raw the night after it's summer? in the same building. It's in oh, Brooklyn. wow, so they it's sold a whole it out weekend, three nights weekend. in a row. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah, yeah so that would, that would be perfect. Uh, I think New Day should go over. I'm, I'm not nothing against the primetime players, but man, the New Day are just so fucking good. Yeah, so good. <laughs> they they've added the walk to the ring now. Yeah, <laughs> it, 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 yeah Kofi and his walk. It, it's just they're gold. And who knew that those three had this? Yeah, yeah. Just when they finally, uh, you know, set them free and let them do what they do, they're 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 fucking excellent. Um. So how are we feeling about how you how you feel about SummerSlam overall? Besides, you know, being concerned with the time versus matches, I think it has a chance to be a fairly decent show and uh, do do the prestige of what the show is supposed to be do it justice. I guess it depends on the injury situation. I know Cena is going to be good, uh, but how good is he going to be? I don't, I don't yeah. know what kind of uh, condition he'll be in physically, but he's going to do what he can. Um, that's just a little red flag with him. And then uh, Undertaker is going to be the question mark. Yeah. How much time does Brock and Taker get? How much and can Taker give us? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's going to uh, make or break the show probably. Yeah, that's that, that's going to be the thing. I think that's going to be a match that defines this SummerSlam. Um, the, the undercard could be very good, but if the main event blows, it's going to bring it down going to be a tough time yeah we just recently saw that with their last pay-per-view yeah um all right well hopefully those matches deliver everybody feels happy and satisfied with their show um and hopefully all of you feel satisfied with this show um i think the shock master very much for coming on here sharing some memories with me on the, the great one roddy piper going over some shows um also later on this week i'm going to be hitting you guys up with me and KB, you're going to go through some headlines, talk about, I'm going to do a little bit of a speaking my mind on a few things. And I will Woo-hoo. also will also be coming to you with uh, some more divisional previews, me and Ty Berna, uh, on the football tip as we are closing in on football season very, very soon. Um, so who picked, who picked the Bengals to win? Who picked the Bengals to win the division? That yeah. would be me. Not to mention, not to fucking mention, like I texted you the other day, uh, Vegas has the Bengals at the 33 to 1 odds. That, for me, because I'm a gambling degenerate, uh, is a little bit too good to pass up. I yeah. might have to go put down some money on 33 <laughs> to 1 odds on the Bengals. I'm I really might. optimistic. Saying. Just saying. Um, so... Thanks for joining me, man. Um, And thank you all for listening. We will be back sooner rather than later.
That's absolutely oh, sensational. Man, that is sensational. That is fabulous. Everybody has to like that one. Jesse, get your face out of the plane. They're almost there. Oh. Come on, Jesse. Oh, I got through it. Yeah, well, you may not get through this next cut with uh, considering whom is going to tackle this one. I agree. Oh, I feel better already. A dear, dear friend of mine. For everybody. Rowdy. Roddy Piper! Are you ready for this, Gene? <laughs>